This is Need to Know. Real talk about the reality of unidentified aerial phenomena. From Australia, Ross Coltart. From the U.S., Bryce Zabel. We're so glad to be here with you this week. We're energized about so many things. I'm Bryce Zabel coming at you from just north of Hollywood out here in a part of the world that has its share of problems, but manages to balance them out with some of the greatest weather on the entire planet. And my hotshot partner, Ross Coulthard, is joining us this week from his own undisclosed location up in Australia's snowy mountains, where he has managed to wrangle the internet there into submission. Earthman to the man from Snowy River. Can you hear me, Roscoe? G'day, Bryce. How are you, mate? It's beautiful up here. This is where Australians come to ski. It's also where, if you remember that beautiful movie, The Man from Snowy River, this is where the whole thing was shot. and had the wild Brumby horses charging through the bush. This is the scrubby gum eucalypt country where all this was filmed. And it's truly beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And last night there was a, a wombat outside my window going, <laughs> well, you realize, Ross, I, you know, I just should warn you as an American, we're all very well of the, uh, aware of the fact that almost everything in Australia can kill a person. So be careful. <laughs> now, mate, this week, as you and I have discussed, we thought it would be time to reprise the issue of whether there is a plan or whether there ever will be a plan for any kind of public congressional hearings into UAPs, UFOs. As you know, there were promises made around about the time of the tendering of the report to Congress on UAPs back in July last year, that there may well be a, a public hearing into this matter. So this week, we're going to have a close look at the history of public hearings into UAPs and whether there's any chance that's likely to happen. Well, there's certainly a lot of talk about it, and that's going to make it a very interesting show for me because I, I think if that actually happens, I mean, all the bets are off. Um, you know, though, let's do a little news and review this week. One of the things that caught my attention, and this just happened a couple of days ago, is that uh, Putin, uh, talking about Ukraine, started uh, doing what he does so well, which is threatening people. And, and I just have to read you this quote that, that comes straight from uh, Vladimir Putin's mouth. He said, if someone decides to intervene in current of, uh, events in Ukraine from the outside, and creates unacceptable strategic threats to Russia, then they must know that our response, our retaliatory strikes will be lightning fast, quick. We have all the tools for this, he said. And here's the part that gets me, such that no one else can boast of right now. And we won't brag, but we'll use them if needed. And everyone should know about it. All the decisions in this regard have already been made. Now, that's just creepy talk. It would be bloody funny if it wasn't so dangerous. I mean, he Putin really does sound like Dr. Evil, doesn't he? Come, some kind of snickering madman in his elusive lair. But that talk of some kind of weaponry, some kind of technology that has yet not been seen by this world, it is quite ominous. And as you know, mate, there's a lot of talk about that at the uh, American end. You know, there's been a lot of gossip and rumour for years that, uh, you know, what brought the Cold War to the end was... Uh, that, uh, you know, there was even talk that there was a demonstration of technology by the Americans to the then Soviets to show them about the futility of mm. even think thinking of using nuclear weapons. Well, but frankly, we just don't know. We certainly assume that when Putin is talking, he's probably talking about his nuclear weapons or his hypersonic missiles. But given that Need to Know is a program about UAP, I only wonder if the Russians actually had UAP that either fell into their hands or they reverse engineered or, or even that they created on their own and they were responsible for UAP, do you think they would have already used these weapons? And yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, didn't, don't you think they would have used them by now if they had them? And that's what a lot of people say too about the United States. But if it's true that they have recovered technology but just haven't been able to back engineer it, Maybe that's the explanation for both of these countries. Maybe they've got stuff sitting in a shed somewhere in a very dark cave in the Urals and Area 51 that they just don't know how to replicate. Well, it's very interesting. If there are congressional hearings someday, uh, obviously they're going to be called primarily because of the uh, national security implications. And the very things that you and I are just talking right now would be you know, on the agenda, at, at the top of the agenda. Here's from the... Uh, 
from the threatening to the semi-ridiculous. There's another piece of news out there this week. The debrief, our friends over at the debrief were talking about how they had uh, seen a video on YouTube where it purports to show two separate UFOs flying around on Mars, okay? Uh, and in and, and pictures taken by the Perseverance rover as it uh, winds its way through those rock fields on its way to, I think it was called Jezero River Delta. And, you know, these are photos that get people all ginned up and excited, and they don't really help uh, disclosure, do they? Well, they don't because NASA came out very quickly and, and essentially asserted that they were a hoax, that they were probably uh, videos that had been touched up by space enthusiasts who'd made these type of images for fun. And look, Bryce, the thing that really gets me about this is, as Edgar Mitchell showed my friend the spaceman, there are indeed absolutely undoubtedly genuine, authentic NASA videos, films from the Apollo program, films from the shuttle program that record anomalous objects that are genuinely puzzling. And the thing that gets me is every time there's an attempt to try to focus on those authentic videos where there do appear to be well, craft objects, sure. intelligently moving objects that are, are, are moving in relation to the craft that the, the, the humans are in. It, it's always, there always seems to be a hoax that bobs up in the custard that distracts yeah. the public and, and essentially denigrates the whole issue. And I just think it's time the, the UFO social media world grew up and stopped recycling these things until we know for sure that they're authentic. I mean, I, I think, frankly, before that YouTube video was circulated around UFO Twitter, it, it should have been verified and it should have gone through an authentication process. Don't you agree? Well, I mean, if we could figure out how to do it. And by the way, I just have to say, I live for the moments where you throw out something so casually like Bob's up in the custard. I mean, I live for that. That's my my favorite thing. But I will say about those, it does. I do. I am optimistic that NASA, as it is currently constituted under uh, its new administrator, Bill Nelson, the former senator from Florida, um, seems to be pursuing a, a little more openness than NASA has before, where it was always plausible deniability, not our problem, don't ask us. So maybe we will start to get some of those answers in the future. Um, so we can, we can be optimistic. You know, there's one other thing, though. I, I almost feel like we've talked about this next one so many times on the show, but it, talking about bobbing up in the custard, this one is at the top of the custard, and it seems like every week. And that is... Uh, People in ufology sort of arguing amongst themselves and sudden and somehow Lou Elizondo's name is always in the middle of it. Now, there's a story this week um, about how Brian Bender from Politico and Stephen Greenstreet from, I believe, the Daily News. He, 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 no, he's from the New York, New York Post. Post. Excuse me. Yeah. yeah, of course. Both are saying they were deceived. What do you know about this? Okay, look, there's there's a couple of issues here. Firstly, it goes back to when Chris Mellon and Lou Elizondo first bobbed up in the custard talking about ATIP, talking about the fact that there was, as Harry Reid revealed, and, and, and in fact, as Brian Bender was instrumental in revealing, there was this program called ATIP, which was investigating UAPs. And Brian was one of the first to break that on his excellent news webzine Politico. Now, what Brian has said is arguably correct, which is that, yes, both Mellon and Elizondo played down the fact that there was a broader program called ORSAP that was funded by the Defence Intelligence Agency, which was essentially looking at woo stuff, the Skinwalker Ranch. It was looking at anomalous paranormal phenomena on the Skinwalker Ranch. And what I think Brian's suggesting is that Mellon and Elizondo played down the woo, the paranormal, and focused on the UFO material because they didn't think that the Congress and indeed a lot of people in the public who they're trying to swing to take this issue seriously, they didn't think, they made a calculated judgment, I suspect, that people aren't ready to talk about paranormal phenomena, whereas they are prepared to consider the possibility, the probability of anomalous, intelligently controlled objects in the skies doing things that are beyond known human science. Now, 
Brian Bender believes that he was misled, that that essentially, and in fact, uh, what's his name, Greenstreet has gone even further. He said he felt he was deceived. Frankly, I, I think Stephen Greenstreet and uh, I think also one of his colleagues, John Greenwald, there may be maybe overdoing it a little bit, giving it a bit too much stick. The the the, the bottom line is, yeah, okay, I, I accept that Elizondo and Mellon probably downplayed the uh, the real purpose of ORSAP and left the public focused on the idea that this was a UFO investigation program. But frankly, really, who cares? I mean, seriously, does this really it's, matter? It's, it's what we call inside baseball. Uh, you know, and, and let's give uh, Bender a little break here. He he started this on tw- uh, Twitter and then it kind of grew. Green Street strikes me as a slightly different deal. I mean, here's a guy that had a very successful uh, uh, show slash podcast or whatever on YouTube last year where he and Nick Pope uh, uh, opined about the, the whole UAP issue. And what Green Street is, in essence, saying goes a step beyond anything Bender has said. Green Street's saying, you know what? Uh, I kind of bought into this whole thing for a couple of years, and now I have grave doubts, and I'm restarting my show, which is the equivalent of you and I saying, you know, we like these first 12 episodes of Need to Know that we've done, but we're going to stop for a month. And when we come back, we don't believe any of the stuff we told you in the last 12 uh, episodes. So I, I think it's radical and I'm, I'm interested to follow him only because I, I want to see what his logic is for all of that. Yeah. Look, I, I yeah. I mean, I've, I, I uh, personally, I, I, I don't, I just don't think it, it warrants that much of a worry, frankly. No. I mean, I, I, I truly don't care. The, the bigger issue for me where I think also Green Street and John Greenwald have um, jumped on this issue as well has been the toing and froing in the last week over whether the uh, Department of Defence Director of Intelligence, Gary Reid, as was revealed by our friend and colleague Tim McMillan on the debrief, whether he was fired right. or not. Was and- he? Well, this is where I think Brian Bender was a bit of what we would call in Australia a bit of a cranky pants because Brian did a bit of a put down on uh, Josh Boswell from the Daily Mail and uh, a lovely fellow called Christopher Sharp from the Liberation Times in the UK, both of whom followed up on this Gary Reid story. Uh, And in fact, Elizondo gave, I think, a, a large part of the detail of the circumstances of Gary Reid being moved sideways inside the Defence Department to both Josh Boswell from the Daily Mail and uh, Christopher Sharp from the um, the Liberation Times. And there was a bit of a smackdown from Brian that I don't think he necessarily intended to be seen to be doing. But basically, it made Brian sound perhaps unintentionally as if he was sort of saying, look, only the establishment media like Politico right. should be allowed to cover this story. And 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 I think he said something like, uh, you know, people shouldn't talk to the Daily Mail. And just to right. explain... The reason he said that is because a lot of us in journalism get pissed off, frankly, because the Daily Mail does rip off other journalists' journalism all the time, and it doesn't credit for it. And it's outrageously bad at this. It, 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 breaches, sure. copy, it breaches copyright all the time. And frankly, it's, it's actually improper and unethical that what they do. But I didn't see any evidence that Josh Boswell was doing that. He correctly attributed in his Daily Mail story for the excellent work that was broken by Tim McMillan in the debrief. And, and frankly, it is still very important. And, and I think the big issue to me, frankly, is that Gary Reid's moving sideways from the DI position is incredibly significant. Yeah. Because firstly, Lou Elizondo had complained about this guy. When I first met Lou in person last year, around about this time last year, he complained to the Inspector General of the Defence Department about Gary Reid's behaviour because he felt that he was being, what we say in Australia, white-entered by Gary Reid and other people in the Pentagon, that they were undermining his position, his past role as the head of the UFO program, and they were casting doubt in the minds of certain journalists uh, sowing the the idea that Elizondo was essentially lying about his role running the UFO program. Now, we now know 
absolutely categorically that Elizondo was running the UFO sure. program. And and why why the Defence Department, why the Pentagon played this bullshit game, I do not know. All it's done is make them look ridiculous. Well, the game and- is uh, game time is running out on the Pentagon for that kind of behavior. I mean, the, the whole thing makes me remember raising my kids where it was like, you know, the best advice was like, kids behave. And if you don't, I'm going to put you in the corner. You know, I, I, I just feel like uh, people need to, you know, bring the, the game up a little. But it is good that we're able to talk about the journalism and what's going on. You know, we want to try one other thing here. Oh, go, go ahead. Can I, can I just come back for a moment, yeah. though, Bryce? The, I, what I think is really important and the reason the Gary Reid story is still being missed in the mainstream national media, this is the guy that presided over the debacle the intelligence debacle in Afghanistan, where the American military falsely assumed that the Afghanistan army would be able to hold its position and stop Kabul from falling. But more importantly, it was Gary Reid who was taking over the role of running the new oversight office, the AOIMSG, that was meant to be providing the ongoing transparency and oversight. Now, that's the issue. The fact sure. that Gary Reid, the person who has now been essentially sacked from his role as the director of intelligence in the U.S. Defense Department, even though Elizondo had complained about him as early as right. a- April, May last year, he was still put in charge of the AOIMSG, the ridiculously named acronym for the UAP um, uh, well, tra- Transparency sure. Group. Um And that's the issue to me. Why the hell did the Defence Department put a bloke like that, who was already the subject of a complaint hearing, in charge of what is potentially the biggest story the Pentagon's going to Sure, and why aren't more people reporting it? And why did it take a sexual harassment claim to really get him out of there? I, You know, it's it's hard to even imagine. Um, We're going to switch gears briefly here for... uh, a second. One of the things we wanted to do in our opening segments, folks, is is tell you not only what's in the news, like we're doing right now, but also tell you a little bit about what's upcoming. And I wanted to just do a start a little quick uh, bit about what's buzzing right now in the field of ufology. The one of the things here in the U.S. that's been kind of interesting is there's a new show out on Showtime called The Man Who Fell to Earth. And for those of you who remember it, that's the one where David Bowie back in 1976 played an alien uh, stuck on on earth and uh, it was quite a film and really made a huge impact and now of course it is uh, a, a limited series on showtime with uh, Chuatel Ajiafor I think I got that name right in the lead role but what's wonderful about it is Bill Nye the guy you remember from uh, uh, Love Actually and so many other things actually has the David Bowie role and plays a character who's been stuck here on Earth since 1976, since that film has ended, and uh, it's it's fantastic. It's really I'm dying to see that. I'm really looking forward to seeing that since you well, told me about it. You know what's so interesting about it is it's not really anything about ufology. It, it sort of lives in a world where there are new UFOs, at least so far from what I've seen. It's just an alien thing, but it's always fun, and we enjoyed that. Also, coming up on May 3rd, there's a new documentary out called uh, A Tear in the Sky. This is the UP ex people and their investigation. They're promising big things. I've seen it. Um, and while I don't, uh, you know, I, I'm, I support the UAP X mission and, and all of that, of course, uh, which is to get data and to, and to move things ahead without being dependent on the government to tell us what it's doing. Uh, the, the actual film itself does have a bit of familiarity. It feels a little bit like an unidentified episode or, or even, uh, you know, an episode of Skinwalker Ranch. Um, and it feels a little more like a TV show instead of a, a documentary people might want to listen to. Then, of course, close to home for me, May 2nd and 3rd, the McMinnville UFO Festival, after being dead for two years because of the pandemic, is back with Whitley Strieber. And uh, it's also got Brian Bender, who we've talked about in it, which is interesting. May 13th and 14th, is that right? Yeah, May 13th and 14th. And the only thing that I will say that is the kind of thing that makes you tear your hair out because it shows we were talking about how things like, you know, someone faking 
uh, the Mars photos is, is so damaging. Okay, a few years ago, when After Disclosure came out with uh, the book I wrote with Richard Dolan, I created a Time magazine with the McMinnville photos on the cover, all right? And I used it in uh, various um, presentations to say, this is how the media should be covering UFOs, right? It was, and I never said it was anything other than that. I made a big point about, this is not real. This is a fake to show you what I think they should be doing. Well, that fake that I created has been appropriated by the McMinnville UFO Festival. It's oh, you're kidding. Well, they, they, they're, they're representing it as real. Yes. And I've written them four times now and told them it is fake. It's not real. And yet they leave it up on their history page. It's and shocking. all that's going to do, all that's going to do is eventually somebody's going to come out of the custard and basically say, oh, look, isn't this outrageous? They're using a, fo a fake page that Bryce Zabel used and created fictionally several years ago. They're just it's leaving crazy. themselves wide open. And by the way, folks, McMinnville is, of course, in Oregon. It's the place where in 1950, two very, very famous UFO photos came out that even uh, the Condon report couldn't uh, uh, say was wrong. And so they've stood the test of time. Now, we're getting a bit long here because I know that we want to keep it fairly tight, but I, I, I just want to particularly mention the forthcoming Moment of Contact documentary that our yes. friend James Fox is producing, his right. documentary, uh, uh, which is uh, going to be, I'm, I'm getting very excited about this. It's explaining what happened in Vaxinha in Brazil. And uh, I'm told by a friend who's actually had a a look at the preliminary cut of the film, this is going to be a cracker. It's been another labor of love for Fox. And, uh, you know, he did the brilliant phenomenon last year, which was just a great film. He's got Peter Coyote, uh, who's going to do the narration for this one as well. And it's going to be a crowded summer, folks. In July, on July 10th, CNN starts a five-part limited series. Um, and so uh, there's stuff breaking out all over. And, and, and even sometime this year, uh, the aerial phenomenon, which is another big story, is going to come out. Uh, That's a beautiful story. I mean, and it's got parallels with Westall, 1966, the Australian case that I took such an interest in. All these beautiful little kids that were filmed by the BBC uh, talking about the fact that they allegedly saw a craft land in their school right. ground in Rua, Zimbabwe. And uh, it's apparently an amazing film. And now, I this is really the one by Randall Nickerson, and he's got big shoes to fill because our, our friend James Fox ended the phenomenon, his movie from last year, with the aerial uh, schoolyard case. So, you know, and it, he did a brilliant job with it. So we've got a very busy next few months yes. coming up, Bryce, but you yeah. and I have also got an equally busy podcast to film oh, in the yeah. next few minutes. So coming up on Need to Know, are there going to be congressional hearings into UAPs? And should there be? Stay with us. We're back in a moment because you need to know. Welcome back to my Snowy Mountains studio. I'm Ross Coulthard for Need to Know, and I'm talking with my colleague Bryce Zabel this week about the possibility of congressional hearings into the UAP issue. Now, right back, Bryce, as you will recall, when the UAP task force report was tabled in the Congress last year in July, I think it was July 25th. June 25th. June, June 25th. 20th, yeah. June 25th. Uh, there was a lot of talk, a lot of talk, that there were going to be public congressional hearings. I, I think one of the people that spoke was um, Andre Carson, a mm -hmm. Democrat from Indiana. What did he say? At the time? You know, everybody uh, sort of used the report as an opportunity to sort of talk about what was on their minds. And these people are, of course, congressmen and women and senators. So what's usually on their minds is, you know, how can we turn this into hearings? Because that's what they live for. But Carson uh, was interviewed on uh, CBS Face the Nation in the aftermath of that report. And while this isn't the only thing ever said about congressional hearings, I thought it was interesting. Let me just read that quote. He wrote, or he said, rather, 
if it is otherworldly, we have to take into account our advancements in terms of our cell phone technology and why aren't these images being captured. We have to think about the nearly 4,000 satellites that are orbiting Earth right now. Most of these satellites have cameras attached to them, he said. Why hasn't any of that information been released? Great question. And so we still want to make sure that our adversaries don't have a technological edge on us, but we still can't rule out that 2 to 6% that could be something we can't explain, maybe even otherworldly. And here's the kicker. He, write, he said, so my hope is, as the chairman of the subcommittee on counterintelligence and counterproliferation, that we will have a series of hearings and possibly a public hearing in the very near future. So there you go. Uh, okay, so I'm not holding my breath, but the very key line that you mentioned in that is why hasn't any of that information been released? And so okay. what, I, what I thought we should do in tackling this issue is to firstly take a long, hard look at the history of attempts to hold congressional hearings into this issue. I mean, Chris Mellon, the former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense, and Lou Elizondo, who was the head of the Pentagon's UFO program, have made no secret in numerous podcasts that what they want is hearings. They want they want the Congress right. to be very visibly and publicly investigating this issue. But what I heard from people at the time I was writing my book at the beginning of last year, and what I hear now is very different. And I think to understand why there's been a change, why there's possibly a move now to more uh, in-camera hearings, secret hearings, is because of the history of congressional hearings about UFOs. As you and I have talked about previously, uh, Bryce, in previous Need to Know episodes, there's a long history of the official investigations into UFOs going right back to the 1940s with Project Sign, Project Grudge, and then the US Air Force's Blue Book investigation. And am I right in saying, mate, that Project Sign and Project Grudge were a fairly decent objective attempt by the US Air Force and other defence agencies to be seen to be publicly transparently, not publicly, to be seen to be right. properly, well, properly investigating the phenomenon. I, and when you look at their archival documents, those two early projects, Sign and Grudge, they did represent a very real effort by the US Air Force and other agencies back in the 40s and the 50s to properly investigate this issue. Well, and, 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 although the, the, the question is, they weren't doing it for the public at that time. At that, no, you no. know, they were still, it was all internal and they were writing memos to each other. And the reason we even know about all of this is the Freedom of Information Act got a lot of those memos released and so forth. But the, the interesting thing uh, on the subject of congressional hearings is that among ufologists and people who care about UAP and all that, it's kind of the fever dream that you want to come true. I mean, the idea idea that we, we will finally not be ridiculed by the U.S. government, but that the government itself will hold these hearings and say, yeah, we told you they're real, and now we're going to drag some people into Congress and have them tell their story. I mean, that's something uh, that, again, we'll talk more about in our third uh, section when we're going to talk about the future of all this. But uh, it has been something that uh, people on the outside have always wanted. The reason I may be a little more optimistic, though, than I think that you seem to be saying you are, is that what has materially changed isn't what the Air Force was doing. But in the Congress, if you were to sort of say anything about studying UFOs or, or having some kind of hearing about UFOs or actually pulling in Congress to it, uh, you stood the very real risk that you would be marginalized, made fun of, and uh, and been uh, characterized as wasting the time of the Congress during the Cold War where things were just really critical. And so a lot of congressmen, as it turns out, as we study the history, had very uh, great interest in studying this, but they were worried about it. One of the guys, though, that didn't have that fear was uh, John McCormick, who was the Speaker of the House, a Democrat. And back in 1958, as early as 1958, uh, when he was the majority leader, he wanted to have hearings at the Subcommittee on Atmospheric Phenomena of the House Select Committee on Astronautics and Space Exploration. And the thing that you and I seem to have stumbled upon on all of this is that it's one thing to want hearings, but it's another to get them past the Air Force, right? Absolutely. And look, the thing that I find 
really disturbing is that if you look at the history of the US Air Force's involvement in public attempts to try and force transparency on UAPs, early on, the US Air Force was privately very, very concerned about the phenomenon. And you can see from Project Sign and Project Grudge, the takeaway from that was that they were desperately keen to see it properly investigated. And it all started to change around about 1952, after the Washington flyover, where there was that incredible display of UAPs, indisputably doing intelligently controlled things, avoiding jet fighters, uh, zipping across radar screens at tens of thousands of miles an hour. And there was a, a very clear beginning of a change, especially from the US Air Force and the CIA. And you can see this in their documents. Sure. And the thing, the thing that I find fascinating, I was going back through the archives and um, there's a lovely fellow, Sean from Witness Citizen, who's been very kind in helping me with this. He pointed me to, in 1961, there were, and also Dean Johnson, who does a fantastic Twitter feed talking about the, uh, the work that used to go on in Congress into UAPs and the efforts that are still going on today. What it shows is that back in the late 1950s and the early 60s, there was a push inside the Congress for public hearings to bring people into the Congress to testify. And the disturbing thing in the documents is that there are documents from the US Air Force at the time that have been declassified that show the US Air Force trying to head off sure. the inquiry. And if they couldn't head it off, what they were trying to do was to control the narrative. Control the narrative. You know, uh, it is true. In retrospect, it's very fun to go look back at some of this stuff. One of the things you can find is a Newsweek article from 1961 in July of that year, where they're talking about the fact that congressional hearings on UFOs are probably going to happen. And of course, that's the time when the Air Force said, uh, you know, you, you don't necessarily need to, we can look into this. Uh, which is a nice diversion. But what I love about that time period you just brought up, 1960, 1961. Okay. In 1960, folks, Roscoe, Admiral Roscoe Hillencotter, you've heard us mention that name before. He's the first head of the CIA going back to its origin. He, in 1960, had left that position and joined NICAP, the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. And he was quoted in a press release from 1960 saying that the first part of this is very familiar to a lot of people in ufology, but not the last part. So I'll read the quote. Behind the scenes, high-ranking Air Force officers are soberly concerned about UFOs, but through official secrecy and ridicule, many citizens are led to believe the unknown flying objects are nonsense. Hundreds of authentic reports by veteran pilots and other technically trained observers have been ridiculed or explained away as mistakes, delusions, or hoaxes. The Air Force, well, there wouldn't you know that. The Air Force <laughs> has assumed the right to decide what the American people should or should not know. And this is the part, again, that ties in with our a program today. He concluded by saying, it is time for the truth to be brought out in open congressional hearings. And this is a former director of the CIA, Bryce. Every yes. time I read that Roscoe Helen line, I, I have to remind myself, this is one of the, I think he was the founding director of the CIA. It's quite and extraordinary. What's, what's fascinating, and again, this is not where we need to go today, but shortly after he made that statement, he sort of faded away from the scene. And I think it's probably because his friends in the Air Force and, and in the government were saying, Roscoe, you're, you're off the deep end here. You, you know, we're not going to go on this adventure with you. But for whatever reason, he backed off. And go ahead. Yeah. So the documents from the U.S. Air Force show that when the Congress in 1961 was talking about public hearings, the Foreign Technology Division of the U.S. Air Force was getting so worried about the risk of this happening that a colonel called um, Edward Wynne wrote a memo proposing that the Air Force preempt an approach from the Congressional Committee on Science and Aeronautics by offering to do its own investigation. Right. And that, that would give the US Air Force full control of how that investigation would be done. And I just want to remind you for a moment, the AOI-MSG, which is the body that is now responsible for reporting to the American public and the world on what the US government knows about UFOs, it's quite clear 
that Gary Reid's appointment as essentially the executive secretary, the person who had overall control of that transparency proposal of what the Congress would be told, it's the same thing again, I would yeah. argue. Yeah. And, and I, this is why it's so important. This is why I want to remind people about don't get distracted about whether or not there was misleading or anything like that and all that sort of rubbish. The big issue, as Lou Elizondo has pointed out, and as he's been proven right, is that the history shows the US Air Force has repeatedly tried to intervene to stop public scrutiny, to stop public hearings. Is that what happened with the attempt to get Gary Reid, the now very controversial former Director of Intelligence for the Defence Department, in control of the AOI MSG. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, history does tend to uh, uh, re replicate itself. Listen, let's dive back into the history for just a second so we can get this in. Because the 1960s had two things happen in terms of congressional hearings that both were shocking in retrospect and both actually got minimized uh, by the Air Force, as you've been stating. But the first one that is close to me, because I know a lot about it, I sort of lived through that time. I remember uh, it happening. It's the famous Michigan sightings from 1966, where J. Allen Hynek, acting for Blue Book, came out there and made uttered the phrase, swamp gas as a possible explanation, which outraged the people of Michigan because they were not seeing swamp gas. They were seeing craft and they knew they were seeing craft. But here's why I freaking love this story is the congressman at that time in 1966 who represented Michigan and was a comer in the U.S. House of Representatives was Gerald R. Ford, who would go on to become president. And in 1966, uh, eight years before he became president, he advocated on behalf of the people of Michigan that there should be public hearings. He actually said, are we to assume that everyone who says they have seen UFOs is an unreliable witness? I think we owe it to the people to establish credibility regarding UFOs and produce the greatest possible enlightenment on this subject. And he concluded I am proposing that either the Science and Astronautics Committee of the Armed Services Committee of the House schedule hearings on the subject of UFOs and invite testimony from both the executive branch of the government and some of the persons who claim to have seen UFOs. So he wasn't just saying, let's bring in the Air Force experts. He was saying, let's haul in the executive branch and let's let the people speak as well. I mean, God bless the man. Now, what ended up happening uh, is that it didn't go down that way. The House Armed Services Committee did hold some brief hearings in 66. Basically, I think they went one day. The Secretary of the Air Force, there we are again, Harold Brown, comes in. And Ross, I bet you'd be shocked to hear what Harold Brown had to say. But he said most of these sightings were easily explained and there was no evidence there were, quote, strangers from outer space. And so there was nothing to see there. And they went away. Look, the real story from 1966, Bryce, and you and I agree on this, is that Gerald Ford, despite his honourable motives, was snowed. He was snowed. He, he really was. He was snowed. Or, I, or uh, just to, because I'm a paranoid about this thing, and I know a lot about the JFK assassination, Gerald Ford was on the Warren Commission. So he he had already taken one for the system, if you will. I mean, if indeed JFK was assassinated in a conspiracy and the Warren Commission did not find that to be true, Gerald Ford was already willing to, to say, okay, move on, folks. Now, there's another th very interesting thing that came out in one of those Gerald Ford press releases during that period in 1966 when he was pushing for hearings. Right. Because it turns out, over the years, there have been hush-hush hearings. Mm -hmm. So in uh, when Gerald Ford did a press release in April 1966, he actually revealed that he'd learned that Joseph Carth, who was a Democrat from Minnesota, had held hush-hush hearings back in 1961 on behalf of the House right. Science and Aeronautics Committee. So... It turns out Carf told him that the subcommittee had made an oral committee, oral report back to the main committee, but that no public report was ever released. The hearings took place in his congressional office. In his and, office. More, and more importantly, no record was made of any of the evidence from witnesses. Right. And this is what I'm warning about, because I, I think that there is a danger 
that the same thing's going to happen again. That at the moment we know there are already private hearings, in-camera hearings that have happened, and I understand are still continuing to happen before key committees in the Congress, like the Armed Services Committee, the House Intelligence Committee, they're, they're not being made public. I, and 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 that the lesson from history is that that will happen again if the public don't rattle the cage. I think we're in a different hearing. time, my friend. I just, I am, I'm all in on congressional hearings. I think they're going to happen. I just want to wrap up this segment for us real quickly because we're on the history. In 1968, two years after the Ford issue that you were just talking about, the House Committee on Science and Aeronautics did conduct what they called a hearing, except it wasn't. It was technically called a symposium on unidentified flying objects. So again, we're not getting the full hearings. We're getting them in somebody's office. We're getting something called a symposium. It, again, was very short, but it did include testimony from J. Allen Hynek, uh, Jim McDonald, Carl Sagan, and some other guys, as well as some written testimony that got put in the congressional record. But then again, it was sort of like, okay, well, we've done it. We're moving on. So, okay, we should move on, I suppose, into the next act of this thing. I just want to make one final point, yeah. though, and that's that you cannot look at what's been happening in the Congress at that time in the 1960s without also looking at the history of, of the ongoing secret investigations that were going on. And so we know that, that because of all the pressure that Gerald Ford imposed, in October of 1966, the University of Colorado was hired by the US Air Force to do a supposedly high caliber study of flying saucers. And that was an inquiry led by a guy called Edward Condon. Mm -hmm. And he agreed to head the program. And he announced that he was an agnostic on the subject of UFOs and that he had an open mind on the question. And he thought that possible extra uh, terrestrial or origins were improbable, but not impossible. But as we know now, my friend, yeah. Condon's inquiry was subsequently revealed to be a blatant whitewash. Well, not only Con that, it was used to kill Blue Book in 1969. Exactly. And, exactly. And so, so okay, so when we come back, folks, one of the things we want to look at is we've given you a taste of the history, sort of where we are in present tense. Let's talk about, again, whether Ross and I can agree whether they're likely or unlikely. Let's at least talk about what they might look like if we get to them. Need to Know continues in a moment. Well, we're back, and I'd like to start this segment with a little bit of a thought experiment, okay? Now, I want you to imagine that someone who is extremely classified is brought into a public hearing in front of, say, the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. Could be a general, might have a dozen medals on his uh, jacket, could be a CEO from some Southern California aerospace firm. Um, and whoever it is, the sergeant of arms comes out there and asks them to raise their hand and ask them a simple question. And this is the thought experiment. Imagine the question being asked of some very highly classified or important people. The question is, do you solemnly swear or affirm that the testimony that you are about to give is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Now, that's going to raise the stakes because even though people may have an agenda worked out and they may think that they know what the strategy is, once you par start putting people under oath, uh, things get a little unpredictable. So, Ross, I'm thinking I don't care how they get into uh, hearings. I just want them to get there because I'm ready to hear those answers. Okay. Well, I don't think it's enough. And I've, I, I, I'm a bit of a a, a doubting Polly on this one, to be honest, Bryce, because I've I've done a backflip with Double Pike. I, I was initially in favour of open public congressional hearings, but the more I learn and the more plausible possible explanations emerge in my mind as to why there might be the ongoing secrecy relating to this issue, the more I think that the current strategy that's being employed of what are essentially private in-camera, highly classified hearings is probably the best one for the moment. And let me explain why. I, I think that if there's going to be any kind of hearing, even if it's a private one, the only way we're ever going to get to the truth of this matter, and you and I 
don't disagree on this. We both think there's right. a cover-up. We both think the US government is hiding more than it knows. But I think the only way, it's not enough to put somebody under oath. The Congress has to pass legislation that allows it to give an indemnity, a yeah. full indemnity against prosecution that releases these people from the, the oath that they've signed. Witness because, immunity, but how about the power of subpoena too? haul some of these people in? You know, make yeah, sure but, you use it. But as as you and I both know, under the terms of waived, unacknowledged special access programs, theoretically, people who know the most important secrets Correct. in the US government are obliged to lie. So I, I don't think it's enough just to say that you are now under oath. I think it's important it's, that, that that people be given immunity it's not, from prosecution. It's not enough. There have to be teeth, obviously, to it. And the teeth are witness immunity, subpoena use, and and just the, the will to do it. You know, I just wanted to throw one thought out here, though. I think I mentioned it earlier. You know, when Richard Dolan and I were writing our book, AD After Disclosure, uh, it was kind of a big bite that we bit off, which is we're going to tell you what the world might look like after we all agree we're not alone. I mean, that's pretty shocking stuff. And uh, Rich and I spent almost a year uh, going back and forth on this. And the one of the things that allowed us to sort of move forward is we we said the future is often buried in the past. In other words, if you want to know what the future is going to look like, look at some of the things in the past and draw your your lessons from them. Well, on the issue of uh, hearings, for example, there's a couple of things that we could sort of ask ourselves. Yes, I agree. Classified hearings probably do come first. That's certainly the case right now with the January 6th commissions, uh, commission, uh, committee. rather. They've been talking about what happened on January 6th, but then they're going to have public hearings. And for people of a certain age, uh, you remember the Senate Watergate hearings. Again, they started uh, confidentially. Uh, and then they moved into a public phase. And when the Senate Watergate hearings happened in the summer of 73, Americans were riveted. I mean, instead of watching their soap operas or anything else, they were watching these hearings. And I think the same thing could happen with public hearings of, uh, about UFOs. And I think that they give us some thoughts about how it might look uh, because Congress is willing to say, okay, we got to keep this part of it special and we'll keep that still secure. But we've raised enough issues by even having, by even having reports written and the legislation they passed last year it's not outrageous for the American public to expect that there's going to be hearings of some kind. The question is, what's going to be in the hearings? You know, one of the things that I was very privileged in my journalistic career to witness was the South African Truth and Reconciliation yes. Commissions. So after Nelson Mandela became the president in incredibly improbable circumstances, you know, the end of apartheid, the, the end of a racist regime, a regime that had tortured and murdered in secret many people who were fiercely opposed to the apartheid regime. What Mandela did and what his government mandated was quite breathtaking. It yes. basically said there's no point in recriminations. And uh, it's important to have truth and, and it's important for the country to be reconciled after that truth is revealed. Now, that's what I think. I, I know people probably think we're being melodramatic here, but if what you and I believe is true, yeah. the American public is headed for an absolutely momentous moment when oh. they are told that their government has been well, lying to them. And and in fact, uh, uh, one of the things that uh, we, we talked about in that AD book was exactly what you just said. You can have congressional hearings and that exists on one level, but at some point when the, when the, um, when it's all come down, you're going to have truth and reconciliation hearings that move from city to city around the country to bring the people into this. And of course, it won't just be the United States. I mean, once this breaks, you're going to have your country, uh, Australia involved and every other country on, in the world is going to be involved. I thought one of the things we might want to do as we pull this thing, this train to the station here, though, is to ask ourselves if you here's the challenge. Let's say that we were the guys in charge of the committee, <clears throat> the Senate Select Committee, and we wanted to have public hearings. Um, you and I have just done 12 episodes of Need to Know to try to sort of get people up to speed on things. And, and you know what? We could do 180 more. We cannot do 500 more. And there's still plenty of stuff to talk about. We know that it never goes away. So now if you're going to try to have congressional hearings, what's the best way to do it? 
And I have a few ideas, but I'd love to hear your ideas to start. <laughs> well, okay. I, I think the current strategy is a good one because I know because I've been talking to some of the people that have been in the room when these people have been deposed, there are already hearings happening. I mean, yeah. the Armed Services Committee, the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee, a lot of those oversight committees are already deposing pilots, defence officials, right. uh, I think even an astronaut. Now, what's interesting is it's all being done at the moment in camera. Yes. And if let, let's just you should explain what in camera means, though. Well, in, um, in camera means essentially people are talking under oath in hearings, which are formal hearings, but they are not being made public. They are being right. kept confidential. Let, let's just assume for a moment, Bryce, that there is a very good reason why the US government has kept this secret. Let's hypothetically accept the possibility, which you and I both sure. believe is very highly the case, very highly likely the case, that the United States government is in possession of non human technology, possibly even craft. Let's assume they've kept that secret since the 1940s at the very least. And let's assume that crimes have been committed, serious crimes have been committed, that the Congress has been misled, presidents have been misled, the public has been lied to by senior officials in the government. There's been a serious maladministration, a serious breach of process where public officials have felt obliged to lie and mislead. I can understand why, if that's the case, there would need to be a private examination inside the Congress of the full circumstances of why that has happened. Because one of the possibilities in my head, and I'm only exploring, exploring this as a hypothetical, but one of the, I'm a, I'm a lawyer by background, so I, I'm looking for a legal out for these people. Is it possible that when the US government first became aware of the phenomenon and first became aware of retrieved technology and its implications, did a past president write an executive order, which still remains secret to this day, which ordered a secret program, which ordered that this be kept confidential from even presidents, even yes. from Congress, because it was such an important secret to the United States? Oh, it's, it's is, clearly... Is, is, is that possible? I think, well, not only is that possible, but as we've talked about before, I've written an entire 20 hours of a television series on that very premise. Uh, literally, in the pilot of Dark Skies, the head of the Majestic 12 organization tells the young recruit, you know, hey, it's all perfectly legal. Eisenhower's the guy that signed it. He didn't want Kennedy to know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's possible. I've certainly thought a lot about it. Um, but, but, um, but can I don't, I, I'm not a constitutional lawyer in America, right. but can a president really do that? Well, like, I, could, you know, could Truman or Eisenhower have signed an executive order in secret, basically saying, keep this secret, don't tell any of my future presidents? I don't think they they'd get away with it today, to but you know, it was another time, you know, in the 50s, uh, with the Cold War sword hanging over us and all that. So, I don't know. I mean, because the way it seems to work now is. You know, Trump comes, or, you know, Obama does his executive orders. Trump comes in and gets rid of them and does his executive orders. Biden comes in, gets rid of Trump's executive orders and does his. This would have to be the uh, executive order uh, extraordinaire, obviously, uh, that has that has existed all these years. Now, you asked me who should be brought in. I mean, yeah. Obviously, there's a there's a mischievous part of me that knows from the Tong DeLong emails that right. were that were revealed by WikiLeaks because they were stolen by the GRU, GRU Russian military intelligence agents. We know that Tom DeLong was talking to General Neil McCaslin, the former boss of the US right. Air Force Foreign Technology Division, General Michael Carey. We know that uh, Richard Weiss from Lockheed Martin was also involved. I mean, some people out there in ufology might want to see these generals dragged into the Congress with piano wire around cert certain sensitive parts of their anatomy and, and, and basically told, I, you know, you will tell the Congress that, the truth. Are we I ever going to see that, do you think? Yeah, I think, well, I don't know if they're going to have the piano wire around the testicles. Um, that's possible. <laughs> uh, 
but that that's probably not the first choice. But I, you know, I think it's true. I think people are going to have to be brought in uh, and uh, that wouldn't ordinarily want to talk, but they're going to have to be told uh, you either tell the truth now or you know you've got a, a window to tell the truth. If you tell the truth now, you're immune. If you don't tell the truth, we're going to prosecute you. But you know the thing that I want to just kind of wrap um, this uh, future vision aspect up. Um, I'm a Hollywood producer in my other uh, lifetime, of course. And so I like to think of hearings as a show that would have to be produced. So I was asking myself, well, what would I do if I was, you know, in charge of like figuring out how to tell this complicated story? The first thing I do is I, I, make it a little safe and I go with human interest. I'd bring in some of those pilots uh, and I'd bring in some of those radar operators and I might tread the familiar, semi-familiar story of uh, Nimitz just to get people used to it, to see these pilots are real people, to see them in front of the Congress, that kind of thing. Um, then after that, I would try to do two things. I'd try to have a couple of people who could come in and do what we've tried to do in this episode even, which is to try to set a historical narrative. But I'd also want to bring in the McCaslins and those other generals you were talking about. And so I'd want to pivot from uh, history into the present tense. And the one thing I would do uh, as well is um, I would borrow from Gerald Ford's first uh, uh, thoughts, which is let's not just bring in the military, even though it is a national security issue. There is 75 years currently of people who have seen things and have told their families and their friends and their clergymen and you name it, the police and everyone else. I would make it a personal story. Uh, at the same time, I would make each one of those witnesses someone who is looking through the camera lens at the uh, the people on the other side, and I would I would try to turn those hearings into the most sensational hearings since the Watergate hearings, and I think they could be ten times as interesting. To be honest with you, well, I sincerely hope they do happen, Bryce, because there does need to be some kind of public accounting for this incredible cover-up. I mean, I, I, journalists don't normally believe in cover-ups. I very rarely believe in cover-ups. But in this case, I do genuinely believe there has been a cover-up. And how in heaven's name America is going to handle the breach of public trust that is underlined by the revelation that there has been such a serious withholding of important evidence that goes to not only our understanding of ourselves as human beings, but you know, our position is, you know, our understanding of ourselves in the universe. I, I, I really, it's such a fundamental story. It's fundamental. And, and, you know, again, let's talk for a second and then I guess we wrap um, a cover up uh, means different things to different people. Uh, on one level, you can have cover-ups that are illegal, but on the other, on a more personal level, you can literally conspire with your children not to tell their mother that you, uh, you know, burned down the kitchen, you know, wh whatever, whatever it is can be a cover-up. So, uh, and, and people do it all the time on their own jobs. I mean, if, if I was producing a television series and we figured out that we'd overexposed all the film, we might conspire not to tell the network. We might conspire with the studio not to give them the bad news. So there have been cover-ups. Some of them are worse than others. And it's time we sort of sort, the, sort out the wheat from the chaff on this thing. And, uh, you know, as we, uh, as we say our sayonara here, I think that uh, you, you just said it beautifully, Ross. We have reached a point where we're going to have to clear this air one way or the other, which is why I do think uh, there is some legitimacy to the, the public hearings because at a time in, in the United States right now where the legitimacy of our institutions has never been lower and has never been uh, more questioned by the, the, the constituencies to those, uh, those, those secrets and so forth, uh, I think a breath of fresh air where you just blow in and you say, we're going to let some of the truth fall where it may, would allow people to say, okay, some of these things are legitimate national secrets and we won't tell everything, but we have to at least do the one thing. If the truth is, after 75 years, that we are not alone, well, we could start by just admitting that. You know, let's let's get that started. And speaking about 
pain being caused to people's personal parts. So I understand you have a bit of a bee in your bonnet, Bryce, about some aspects of modern ufology that causes you just as much pain. Well, you know, Ross, uh, I, I love what we do on Need to Know, and I think people like the fact that we spare them a lot of the other stuff and we we play it straight. But, you know, every once in a while, the writer-producer in me says, I got something else I want to say, and I, I don't know that it belongs in this particular Need to Know. So what we've done is uh, uh, created some of a piece of bonus material that people will be able to listen to. Um, what I did is I just got in my head the idea that ufology today is a very complicated thing. And I ended up writing something called a profane rant about modern ufology. And I wrote it as a character, not as myself. Okay. So it's a character that's a combination of Holden Caulfield from uh, Catcher in the Rye and Hunter Thompson. I'm as hell that I don't want to take it anymore. Is that right? <laughs> yes, exactly. And Howard Beale and even George Carlin, the great George Carlin. And I, I managed to get uh, Ed Hall to narrate it. Ed Hall is the guy that was the uh, announcer on the uh, Tonight Show with Jay Leno for so many years. So that's going to be a separate thing, a profane rant about modern ufology. You'll find it where your best podcasts are, like Need to Know. And on that note, I think we should start thinking about wrapping up, my friend. Uh, I, I do want to mention that in our next episode, barring an avalanche of breaking news, we're going to be taking a very close look at your incredible series from the late 90s, Dark Skies. I've been watching episodes over the last few months, and I've got a lot of questions for you. I love them. And the, what I want to know is how much of what you've written in there is oh, based boy. on ending of reality well okay, okay roscoe i guess that means i got to start rescreening all these episodes myself or you're going to know my show better than i do because it's been a while you know um I, I look forward to that there are some really interesting inside stories and they do raise a lot of questions and it was one of the, my favorite times of my entire life certainly of my professional life you know and just a final thought to you folks out there we love you watch or listening to our podcast and we want to remind you to tell your friends to do so. It's available through the usual suspects, whether it's Spotify. Well, you already got it or you wouldn't be listening to us. But other people want to know where they can get it. Uh, everything from Apple to Spotify to iHeart to wherever else. Uh, but do listen. Tell your friends about it because, uh, you know, we're all in this together. Yeah, we hope you'll tell your friends and you have a lot of them. Uh, it's, it's really nice to know, by the way, from that we're hearing from people. It's nice to get people's feedback. That's one of the fun things about this show. Okay, Roscoe, we're going to wrap up. And for everybody at home, I would just say this. We definitely can handle the truth. People get ready. And we can definitely handle public hearings into UAPs. Mm -hmm.